this week on Dig Me Out. Let the roadies take the stage. Because the roadie knows what the roadie knows. And the roadie knows that he wears black clothes. And he hides off in the shadows of the stage. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are starting out our uh, interviews for 2016 and doing something a little bit different. Last year uh, was all musicians uh, playing in bands that we were listening to or you know familiar with from the 90s, but uh, you know we've had some other folks on. That weren't mm-hmm. necessarily. We've had uh, uh, a music video director on. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, a producer. We've had authors, journalists mm-hmm. for, for interviews and stuff like that. So um, I believe it was Chip Midnight, friend of the show, who said, "You should talk to this guy." And we were like, "Okay." I think that's what I think that's how it went down. Maybe. Yeah, Ch- Chip's the yeah. guy that kind of. Uh informed me about you guys i guess besides seeing a bunch of uh you know facebook love about your show and stuff <laughs> so joining us from uh from columbus ohio where i'm stationed at uh roadie guitar tech drum tech andy Heinemann. andy welcome to the show hey guys thanks for having me so we were uh you know, talking about we we very off very off of uh, um, the beaten path on occasion. Instead of just talking to people who who um, you know play guitars and go out and do rock shows, we do some other interviews with people who are in different aspects of the music world. And and you've been a musician, played in lots of bands. Are you currently playing in a band right now? Um, I'm kind of trying to start up one with some friends. Uh... So not not uh, active band now. Okay, <laughs> still messing around, and getting things together. I was actually trying to figure out if we had ever played together because you started playing. In... I bet we have because uh, in the early two thousands, I, I had a band going called The Bottoms mm-hmm. we were, for a good long time. So we might have we might have done something back then together, and then I, I would I would come and go from the Woosley band also back then. Uh, you know, Woosley Band's always been kind of a rotating cast of musicians, and sometimes I'll jump in there on bass for a while. I know we definitely played with them. It was like a Mad Lab show. Yeah. Um, we did We did one there, and I think we might have played with the bottoms at, like, Andy Man's. Yeah, maybe there. We we, we played there a lot. We played Scully's a lot. Uh, the old Old Fields, you know. The, the, that was the circuit back then. Yeah. <laughs> Town, you know. Yep. And um, you also spent some time in Twin Cam, which was a, a yep. good, uh, yep. I guess you'd say power pop. Is yep. that, uh, very, very much so, yeah. So um, so you have, ex- I, and I would expect this for anyone who's a guitar tech or a drum tech, you have music experience. I mean, there's you can't go out and, and do what you do if you don't know how to tune a guitar or how to strum a chord. I mean, that's sort of inherent in the business i would imagine right yeah yeah but there's plenty of uh guitar techs out there that you know know how to fix stuff and know how to do stuff but aren't necessarily musicians okay 
know, so they, they, they know enough to play a few chords so the sound guy can get what he needs. But, you know, they by no stretch are, are they musicians. Okay. And then, and then you have the other end of the spectrum where a lot of us are musicians and do come from that background and kind of found our way into this roadie business, you know, technician business, and then, uh, you know, made a career out of it on that side of the stage as opposed to, you know, being the guy on stage. So here's the crazy thing. Every single band that you list on your website that you have worked for, we have not only reviewed an album by them, but oh, yeah. in, in <laughs> several cases, we've actually interviewed members of those bands. Oh, no kidding. So let's go through your, your history here. Which yeah, I got, a, I got it, a little list here, too, because I forget sometimes, you know. So you worked with Watershed from 90 yep. to 98. We had Joe Ostrike on when he released yep. his book, Hitless Wonder. It was actually a two-parter. It was like two-hour-long episodes oh, no kidding. for wow. that. And we went through Star Vehicle track by track. Oh, okay. Um, then uh, in that time... From 96 to 97, you worked with Holland Maggie. You did 60 over 60 shows with them. Yep. And we had Happy on. We, we interviewed yep. him, and we went over uh, Honeysuckle Strange, that whole right. record. And I'm guessing then Jay and I and a friend of ours, Keith, and a few other people went up and saw Holland Maggie at, I think it was Frankie's in Toledo when they were on tour for oh, that yeah. record. So you might have been working that show. Might, might have been that there was... for that I did a lot of the Honeysuckle tour, like, you know, we did a lot of touring with the Afghan Wigs and the Verve Pipe and a bunch of our own shows. Um, I felt like that was, like, a one-off thing, though. Like, yeah. wasn't it, like, at, wait, oh, quite a bit after the record came out? Yeah, it could have been, because Frankie's was so close. It could have just been, you know, maybe maybe we did a weekend up there or something and yeah. more dates in Michigan over a long weekend. There was a lot of that kind of stuff going on in the early days just long weekends out out for four or five days or something like that so when you're working with a band are you going out on those dates even if it's not a you know full tour um yeah back that back then in the 90s with the watershed and maggie boys it was kind of uh you know it was it, a lot of it was um there wasn't touring like like now i'm out for like five six weeks at a pop sometimes back then the longest you'd go out would be maybe two or two weeks or so unless like that afghan wigs thing with hal and maggie was that was long that was like six weeks all over the country and then you know whatever whatever other dates would pop up then you know sometimes you'd like i said you'd do a long weekend of dates around the midwest whatever you can whatever you can route in, a, in an appropriate five-day weekend or something you know mm. Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of the early watershed stuff was done. Just what what can we get to in an eight hour drive, and then what else can we get to <laughs> from there? Yeah. Sure. And then somewhere in the late '90s, it started to, uh, you know, it started working for more successful bands, and and uh, you know the paycheck started to get better, and you know things like that. Bands that bands that, I like to say bands that paid better and then sold tickets. <laughs> <laughs> those two things kind of go together huh yeah yeah a little bit <laughs> yeah if i remember correctly that hell and maggie show was not well attended there might have been 20 uh, or 25 people there and it was in a dance club so like half the club mm-hmm. was there was dance music playing and then we were like on the other side and it was like 
in between songs, you'd hear like, doof, 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 like these pumping beats. Yeah, Frankie's was really tiny, and then it had that like rave place underneath it. That yeah, you'd, you'd hear like Nine Inch Nails cranking in between songs or something. But they were fully, they were, they were, you know, putting on a show. Like there was yeah, they were, boa they were, and I, leather pants and the whole, the whole nine yeah. yards. That we had, we had uh, some. Uh, multiple feather boas around the van in the touring days with those bo- those guys, you know. <laughs> Harold, Harold would like to wear the uh, feather boa on stage sometimes. They were a great live band though when they were on. It was good. they were good. And then um, after uh, Watershed, uh, you worked with Dovetail Joint for twenty six shows, which was a band that we just reviewed last year. Yeah, um, I think when we saw them. You weren't. You might. I don't think you were with the band at that point. I think you. No, I didn't. I didn't do a whole lot with them, and and what I did do was mostly we were opening up for, like we opened up for Goo Goo Dolls and Cheap Trick and Collective Soul. I remember a lot of those dates. We we you know did a couple weeks with each band in that period because they were you know Dovetail would just put their record out. They were a new band, and they had a lot going for them. So that's why we got those good opening slots back then. You know. Yep. And we saw them, I think, sort of the tail end of everything because they played a music conference in Indianapolis that we were playing at the same time in like 2000. Oh, so, yeah, you talked about that on your podcast about yeah. that. Yeah, I was definitely gone by by 2000. Okay. And then after that, you worked with Luscious Jackson, and we actually had on Jill Cuniff, I think, oh, season two. Um, that was an interesting interview because I think I did it solo, and I we had to do it during the day, so I literally had to like drive home from work on my lunch break, do the interview, and then drive back oh, to work. So you're rushed and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting one. Um, yeah. And then from from the dovetail joint, uh, and I'll have you explain it. From the dovetail joint tour is actually how you end up. With the Goo Goo Dolls, who you've worked with, I guess, for what, 15, 16 years now? Yeah, on, on and off since 99, yeah. But that's how I got hooked up with them, was when Dovetail Joint was opening up for them for a while. I just I just uh, became good friends with their, with their backline crew. And also, at the time, if you guys remember uh, David Ellison from the Royal Crescent Mob, mm-hmm. old Columbus band, he... When that band broke up, David got into the tour managing game, and he was Goo Goo Dolls tour manager. So, kind of got getting in front of him again was a was a big step in that. Also, you know, David David saw me out there working for, with another band, and I got along with all their other guys right when they were blowing up. This was '99, summer of '99, right when you know that Iris song was huge. So they. Uh, they were adding guys, and I was right, right time, right place, and they brought me on. And so from there, it kind of turned into, you know, I finished out that, that was the Dizzy Up the Girl tour. So I finished out that tour cycle and then started working for any band that would call, basically. <laughs> I kind of got in the game at that point and started getting some good references and, um, and, for the next six or seven years, I worked pretty pretty nonstop with whoever would would uh, you know would, whatever good opportunity came my way. I spent some time in top forty with Britney Spears. I worked for uh, Buck Cherry for a good long time. Uh, the Luscious Jackson came shortly after that. 
um, Alanis Morissette, Carlos Santana. I mean, kind of gross name dropping here, but that's kind of, you know, the, that's when that's when things started coming really good. You forgot an important so, name. Hor- uh, horse. New York Dolls. Oh, Horse. Yeah. <laughs> Another band we reviewed. Yeah. Oh, did you really? Yeah, we did their album. Uh, back season two, I think, again. Man, man that's a great record. Um, yeah, those guys are some friends of mine. Um, Watershed did a lot of shows with Horse over the years. And uh, John from Horse had a band called The Generals for a while that, that Watershed did a lot of shows with. So so John from Horse is an old friend. And I did, I did a handful of shows with them, but I don't really have, like, they're not in my database so to speak because those were right kind of lost days so to speak <laughs> um but yeah horse I, I did some stuff with them and uh it's funny i was working for horse and watershed and howl and maggie all like around the same time in the late 90s figuring one of these bands is gonna pop right how can they not they're all so good and then they all were dropped <laughs> <laughs> all went away and i figured all right so I picked up a bartending gig and finished college and uh, didn't do a whole lot of traveling in, in 97, 98, and then finished college. And well, what else am I going to do? So I got back into it. And there that would be a lot of ex- excitement around, you know, Detroit, like that sort of Detroit, Ohio loop. I mean, you had three bands, um, like you said, that all seemed like they were uh, headed in the right direction. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, we, it was just prior to when we moved to Columbus, so I think Tim and I were always, you know, kind of fascinated with that era of yeah uh, back, how music. Back in the mid '90s, there were just a ton of bands from the Midwest getting record deals. All those Chicago bands and you know mm-hmm. some Detroit bands. So it just seemed like a really, really good time to be uh, getting into things. And uh, I, I, I'm still blown away. None of those three bands like got to the next level. You know. Mm-hmm. But um, but then I jumped. I started with Dovetail shortly after that, and then and then that that like I said, that's when things kind of really blew up for me. Just uh, went from Dovetail to the Goo Goo Dolls, which was my my first full production tour. Which is you know I think it was four trucks at the time. You know you're bringing around a lighting rig, you're bringing around a PA everywhere you go. You know there's three buses of roadies four semis and you know that was that was big coming out of van all i'd done before that was van tour so i didn't really know right. what was going on. <laughs> so is that where the line exists in terms of like major touring and and i guess not major touring is it the the sound equipment and the lighting is that sort of the crossing the point at which you cross where it becomes a, ma- a major operation yeah i think i think so that's like because that was really an eye-opener for me making that transition from the van tours to a full uh, full production tour right i was just i was just uh you know it was so interesting just the whole because now now you're bringing the whole show with you you're not just showing up at a bar with your trailer full of stuff and loading into a right. state you know so that was so, that was uh that was a big eye opener and then and then there's you know there's there, there's different levels within that you know you can be like sometimes we just we just do a one truck tour where we're just bringing an audio package, consoles and and uh, some lights to supplement, and we're using mm-hmm. local 
for regional PA and, and sound uh, lights and sound. And then and then sometimes you go on these big tours where you go you're bringing everything. So the, the so does L that kind of go ahead? Does that kind of correspond with the with this type of venue that you're playing? So if like just for people who go to shows for reference, like if they go to like a theater show, are they probably seeing you know a house PA and lights or or you know kind of how does that break down? A theater show like the Palace and the LC, that's kind of the mid level where it could go either way. Some tours are bringing in everything. Some tours are, are just using uh, regional PA and lights. Um, that's kind of the mid midpoint where you can do you can do either thing there. Um, if you're in a, if you're in arenas, you're bringing everything with you though. There's no way you can do arenas cons consistently with regional uh, lights and lights and sound stuff. So you're bringing all that with you. Um, like when we when we uh, get get big in the summertime, we'll we'll bring three or four trucks around. Then we bring a whole lighting rig and PA and stuff. Um, but I see some bands coming through the LC, filling selling the place out, and you you can tell that they're just bringing uh, the basics with them, and they're using you know the house stuff, and and that can be fine too. You know, it's just uh, how much how much do you want to spend on production? How much of a show do you bring, bring along for the people and stuff? And also some of that is, uh, you know, what status is the band at a new band's not going to bring all that stuff where an older band is more likely to bring all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, a band that's just breaking probably isn't gonna have the budget or wherewithal to, to, to know what they want in a light show, you know, at that point. Right, but some old and sound wise, yeah. Sound wise, you're going to get a more if you're taking the equipment with you, you're going to get, I would Just assume, more a more consistent sound, right? Yeah, right more to... consistent shows, the whole all, all the way around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, can when you're on a tour like that where you, you're dealing with buses and trucks, can you sort of give us a, a, a kind of a walkthrough of what a day is like? Because I would imagine that with you in your position, you're not. I guess involved in or maybe you are like in setting up the lights you have to probably wait for that to happen before you can start right. worrying about drums and, and guitar and bass and that sort of thing so right. can you kind of give us like when you arrive into a city like what's the agenda um let's see well we usually do like five shows a week so um we'll we will wake up outside the venue every every day so we'll wake up on the bus and uh, go into the venue, find out where catering is, get a cup of coffee, whatnot. Um, hang on one second here. And then uh, the trucks will start loading in about eight or so. And yeah, the first thing up is is the uh, lighting rig, and sound is next. And yeah, the back line kind of comes in a little bit later in the day, so say maybe around 10 or 11 is when we'll start seeing our stuff roll off the trucks. And sound check is usually four or five, something like that. So yeah, we will, uh, you know, my, my part of the day is in the middle of the day, being the back line world. The light, lighting guys are, they get the rig up in a few hours and then they they're all napping in the afternoon, basically. 
But then they're also the last ones done at the end of the night when the show comes down. Backlines the first stuff packed up in into the truck, and then and then the lighting rig comes down. PA comes in. So that's that's the last stuff into the truck there. So in a way, it's it is like you know when you're dealing with a van, you have to sort of like jigsaw everything to fit into the van in a particular way. Yeah. It's sort yeah. of the same way, but just on a massive scale where you have to like get things off the truck in a certain order so that it makes sense. Yeah. You don't setup. want to jam up, jam up the lighting guys with a bunch of backline cases in the middle of the stage when they need the, the room to build the rig before it goes in the air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's a sense of order to things. And, uh, you know, the bigger the tour is, the more trucks you have, the, the bigger the challenge that is, you know, on some top 40 stuff or, or arena tours, when you have 10 or 12 trucks, that can be a real orchestration. They're getting, making sure that uh, you're not jamming up the other departments with your with your stuff, you know, giving all the, all the departments the space they need and time they need to build their part of the show. So is everybody that's doing even the the real grunt labor of moving things around, is everybody on that tour all the time or are there like local people that are hired to help out? Yeah, there's there's always uh, you know local stagehands that are hired for the day. You know, in Columbus we got we have a pretty good crew of local stagehands, and uh, depending on the size of the tour, you know, like an arena tour might need thirty or forty guys. If uh, if we're coming through the LC with three trucks, we might need you know fifteen or twenty guys. So mm-hmm. so, so there's a there's a good bunch of locals that help out with a lot of stuff too and then the touring crew you know will be there for the duration of you know whatever leg of that tour is or for the whole like 18 month cycles sometimes mm-hmm. so it just it just kind of depends on on uh you know like when we go out we'll go out for like 18 months and most of our crew will stay intact for the whole time and that's that's really nice so you're not Mm-hmm. changing personnel too much um and sometimes the bigger the really big tours will will go through more personnel but that's just kind of the nature of having you know 80 roadies on a tour versus 20 or something you know so you're just gonna right. have more, more turnover so can you break down your responsibilities that you've mentioned that you've been a guitar tech and a drum tech so as a start i guess as a guitar tech what how would you define what your responsibilities are? Say for, just go with Johnny Resnick. Um, uh, it's just maintenance, maintenance on the guitars, dealing with the in- endorsers. Um, you know, I, I take care of, uh, um, well, I take care of the bass player in the Google Dolls, first of oh, all. Oh, okay. So, so gotcha. I'll, I'll deal with uh, his endorsers, Yamaha, the basses, and then uh, I do all the string ordering, the pick ordering, um, you know, dealing with, uh, Ampeg, the you know his amps and stuff, um, and I have a pretty good say in building the whatever guitar rig he's using currently. Um, that's not the case for all tours though. But the, but this 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 crowd because I've been there for so long, I, I you know have a lot of input on as to what we use and stuff like that. But other other tours I've been on, uh, I'll show up at the at the. Uh, first gig or first production rehearsals and it'll just be a bunch of cases and I'll have to, it'll be like a puzzle. Like I, I got to figure out 
a new, a new rig by just opening stuff up and digging through it all. So that can mm -hmm. be kind of trial by fire sometimes and, and uh, can be a little nerve wracking. <laughs> like so, I, so the, they, they've shipped all their stuff there. It's just waiting to be assembled or do you actually have to go through it and figure out like what should and shouldn't be used and yeah like because like, i my when i wow. um when i started working for buck cherry i it was a i flew into the first day and uh i had no time with the gear you know we show up first day it's a radio festival in connecticut somewhere and i'm digging through his cases and his stuff and i'm trying to figure like you know put the rig together you know there's a there's a pedal mm -hmm. board there's a a whole bunch of cables there's a couple amps and a pile of guitars and like so what's what's the priority here? <laughs> yeah because you know, if you're running a couple uh, amps don't you have like certain pedals that are going yeah. to certain channels and yeah you, you need to figure that out yeah because he had a two amp setup and a pedal and a pedal board and and most of it went to both amps but some of it didn't you know so it's just kind of you just gotta have to figure it out you know it's it's it can be a bit of a puzzle sometimes obviously because guitar rig can can be pretty high tech at times so yeah. um, and then like how in terms of like getting the tone and all that i mean is that are you involved in that or is it kind of just a more technical i don't know how does all that work like all uh, the gears there and then it's kind of a you know he the the musician knows what what they want it to sound like obviously it's their right, it's right. their that's their craft and so mm -hmm. you know when we're setting up the stuff on a daily basis it's you know you you need to replicate it every day at the same same place so mm -hmm. you know you guys you guys play guitar so you know things sound different in different rooms or right you know maybe maybe you know if the knobs all get bumped and all of a sudden you're like oh geez what would what were things set out you know you need to figure that out and you need to know your way around amps pretty well to know what knobs to spin to get back to where you want it to want it to go, you know? Right. Like, you know, you know, when local bands share amps and stuff and you mm -hmm. sometimes you get that guy in the, in the band, you're, you're borrowing, you just show up with a guitar and you're borrowing his amp and he's like, well, don't, don't spin any knobs. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I always get so frustrated with those guys. Cause I'm like, shouldn't you know your amp and know how to get your sound like why can't you know right why do you why are you so lost because i spin a knot no. <laughs> right take a picture right so you know it's just part of you know it's just part of knowing instruments and knowing amps and getting sounds dialed in and it's a lot of trial and error over the years of you know what yeah. this marshall sounds like over this fender or vox amp and things like that so is that something that you were always interested in and good at, even going back as you know? Early I like musician? to think I like to think so. Yeah, <laughs> I like to think I can, uh, I can uh, find my way or find a good sound out of most guitar amps and mm -hmm. guitar configurations and stuff. Um, when I was, when um, my old band, The Bottoms, was playing a lot, I used to like borrowing amps from the other bands because I, I liked the challenge of. Of digging into an amp and getting getting a good sound out of it that that wasn't my amp an amp I didn't know mm -hmm. you know what I mean mm -hmm. so I think that kind of yeah I've always kind of liked that that challenge and I feel like I'm good at it I guess so <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep working at it 
So what was your role? You mentioned Britney Spears earlier. Yeah, yeah um, some time in top 40 there. That was, that, that was very interesting, just because yeah. it was different. What, what were you doing? Is uh, it... I was uh, the drum tech on that tour. For, okay. I did two years with her. And uh, when she was on top of the world, so it was it was pretty good. It was a pretty good run, you know, all arenas and stadiums everywhere. And uh, but but on on something like that, of course, the backline world is so small and not important. It's mm -hmm. it's a little ridiculous, you know. To to give you an example, we had uh, the first year we had twelve trucks, and the second year we had twenty trucks. A semi truck is fifty three feet long, right? Mm -hmm. Backline took up 15 feet of one truck. Mm. Wardrobe, <laughs> wardrobe took up half a truck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so just just to put a little perspective into yeah. how important the band was in, in that world versus the wardrobe or the lasers. and what, But that's that's top 40 for you. You know, they're not going to be. Yeah. But it, it was super interesting to do that, just to be involved in a tour that was so big and so over the top and. You know all all the flying stuff in this in the show and lasers and waterfalls. It's just every stupid gag in the world they had on that tour. It was it was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm genuinely surprised they had live drums. Yeah, there was you know there was there was a, a little bit of this and a little bit of that in the uh, PA that the audience heard. <laughs> so it was. I mean, they they had the band, but I mean, we all know that there's stuff in the can and in and, and top forty mm -hmm. shows. So there was, it, it's a mix of both in all mm -hmm. those worlds. You know, when did you make the transition in doing um, as a drum tech? Uh, it was just something that I I was super familiar with from the the van days. You know, when when you're the only backline guy, so you got to know you got to deal with a little bit of everything, right? And, in the big touring world, it's a little more specialized. You know, there's guitar guys and drum guys and keyboard guys, and so it's just it's just uh, something I'm pretty well versed in. Anyway, I, you know, guitar and drum world, I know pretty well. So sometimes I used to do only drum tech gigs for a while on some yeah. tours. Um, it, you know, I could, I feel like I could do either pretty equally. So, mm -hmm. are you uh? responsible for tuning drums changing heads doing all of that yeah yeah all that yep. stuff you know keeping the when you're doing drum stuff it's yeah keeping stocked up on drum heads because you go through them right. quite a bit just like guitar strings and tuning drums I mean, some people really struggle with that but i i feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at that it's mm -hmm. it has it's never really been a challenge to me like a drum has a sweet spot and if you go outside of it it's just not going to work so you know yeah to me, to me, it seems simple, but a lot of guys get really lost in it, which is just odd, I, I feel like. But, you know, yeah. that's, that's why not everyone's a drum tech, I guess. <laughs> in some ways, it could be, I think, more, uh, I don't know, nuanced than guitar in a weird yeah. way. Yeah, I can, I can, I'd agree with that. And then there's... Uh, there's also, it's very subjective, too, you know, a yeah. lot more. And some, some drums, like... Uh, uh, some drums will have a note stamped on the inside of the shell, like a D or a C note in the shell that that is the sweet spot. So you can go over to a guitar and pluck a note on the guitar or bass and then hum that note in your head, walk back over to the drum and kind of 
get going on the sound that that way. Hmm. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, some not all drums do, but uh, like this one DW kit that I toured with um, had the note stamped on it, which it huh. wasn't always exactly that note, but it was around there, you know. So yeah, was, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool and helpful. Definitely. So when you were doing the the van tours that you mentioned in the '90s with like Watershed and such, were you also then responsible for driving? Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's a uh, yeah, and in the, in the in both the Watershed and Hall and Maggie days, there were you know there were five or six of us, and only about half of us really drove because there were some some people you didn't want driving, you know, they didn't have the focus or whatever, or they or they. They'd be like, oh, I'm going to drive, I'm going to drive. And they'd drive like an hour. And they'd be like, oh, I'm tired. i got to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those guys, you don't, so you figure out who can do the long shifts. And then those, you rotate like those three or four guys, basically. So I, I was always a pretty good driver, yeah. Uh, we understand. Jay and I did most of the driving. Yeah. <laughs> you got to figure that out. One, one time, uh, you remember the band Perfect, Tommy Stinson's band? Yeah. We did a we did a show with them uh, at Stashes, and uh, they they almost hired me right on the spot. And uh, the, one of the first things the guys said was like, like "Can you drive the van?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why?" why? They they said, "Cause Tommy doesn't drive." So <laughs> it was pretty funny. I did I didn't get the gig though for uh, for whatever reason, but uh, I I just thought that was funny. One of the first things they asked was if I could drive. <laughs> right. Well, I guess my concern would be like so I, I guess if you're if some of the band like you know if whoever in watershed is taking over some of the driving shifts that gives you some time to sleep otherwise you're not going to have any time unless you grab some hour an hour or two here or there but i don't know how you know are you guys were you guys staying in a crappy hotel or crashing in somebody's floor for the night and then driving in the morning or no, was that, we, were those overnight drives? We we uh, would always drive overnight. We kind of did it the way a, a a big tour does it, where you you leave right after the show and get the driving done, so that way you're you're there. You know, you're in the next city. But yeah, the watershed guys. We we would we had a pretty good van where we had some lofts built in where we could we could do some pretty good sleeping for for van sleeping. That is, and then we'd uh, depending on how long the drive was, of course, we we might get a hotel and then just go you know uh, you know bar load ins are like five or six o'clock you know so you could still get some pretty good sleep during the day that way if you needed to so uh touring the midwest a lot have you ever been on a, uh, missed a show been on a tour where for whatever reason for weather whatnot you just didn't make it um shoot you know not that I can recall, actually, for for weather re reasons, no, I don't. Not that I can recall anything like that. That's a good question, though. I, I have to think about that because there are there were some s situations where you're like, oh, I don't think we're gonna make it, but you end up. You end, right. The show always happens, you know. It's kind of right. Funny that way. Did you ever get to a venue and it had been foreclosed? Because <laughs> we did. Oh really? No. Yeah. I don't I don't think. Oh, there was. I don't think so. Where where was that though? Uh, we went out for one week. Um, that was the only time. You know, we pretty much just played weekends, yeah. and uh, we went out for one week, and we went out to Connecticut, Danbury, Connecticut, 
and we had confirmed the show like two weeks ahead of time. We had we played New York and uh, DC, uh, Syracuse, Buffalo, and uh, we got to Danbury, which was in between the New York City show and the Buffalo show, or Syracuse show. And um, we rolled up at like four o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, there was a foreclosure notice on the on the bar, <laughs> and it had been completely shut down. But we managed to scrape together a show at a steakhouse. Oh wow! <laughs> that Steak. was, and we got free desserts out nice. of it. So I do, I do remember going down to Louisville early, early on, and pulling into the this this club, Uncle Pleasant's was what it was called, and then and then some other big hometown Louisville band was playing down the road, and, and everyone in the bar wanted to go see that show, so they were like you guys sure you want to play tonight? And like, it was one of those kind of things that they were, they were hinting at. Maybe we should, maybe we should not do it so that all the bartenders could go see the other band in town play. It was kind of, (laughs) wow. Yeah. Yeah. We just, we drove all the way down here to not play. Yeah. (laughs) Good idea. So, uh, one of the things I I read a lot of, um, biographies and, and music books from various artists and, uh, there's a common thread, whether it's, we read, Jane and I actually both read um, John Fine from Bitch Magnet, uh, Oberlin based uh, for a while, uh, I guess you'd say noise rock band yeah. in the end of 80s, early 90s. And then I recently read uh, Cheetah Chrome from the New York Dolls. I've read his biography. And uh, even though they're very different bands, commonality is when guys are locked in a van for weeks at a time they do very disgusting things in that <laughs> van or to each other um have any examples of uh, <laughs> horrific behavior you'd like to share oh, uh, just... any anything that comes to mind um the usual uh, we had we had one guy that used to chew uh tobacco all the time so he kept his his spit bottle under the driver's seat all the time and it just it filled up and got nasty and gross and you know it was just so that that kind of thing was always kind of gross there's always the challenge of like you know the bathroom break is always a challenge in the van right so so once in a while you try to you try to roll down the window and see if you could see if you could get get it cleanly out the window but that was always a fail so it didn't happen too often you mean not just dump a bottle but actually go and piss out the window yeah i remember one guy trying to trying to like 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 lean himself out the window one time oh good lord that seems like a bad idea because of multiple reasons yeah um not especially because it's going to just hit the side of the van yeah it was just a bad idea we we didn't have windows in that van so there there, that was okay you know so you just have streaks of urine down the side of a a white cargo van we did it Another thing, the, the the other thing was pranks on the other band you're playing with. We did a lot of shows with uh, Dash Rip Rock over the years, like they that Southern Rockabilly band. We used to do, we used to go out with them a lot in the early days. And they, one time they took the hubcaps off the van and put rocks inside it. So we're driving down the road and like this god awful noise. We couldn't figure out what the hell it was, and you know, I don't know how far we went, but far enough to be like. We should have figured this out, you know. <laughs> just just sticking rocks in your in your van to mess with you. 
<laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the what's the favorite city and uh, venue that you've got to play? Oh, or work at? Oh, I don't know. There's some there's some really beautiful beautiful theaters all over the country. Like you know, like we have the Palace here in town. Like the mm -hmm. the theater in Louisville is is beautiful. The theater in San Antonio is is really beautiful. Um, so some of those places can be really neat. Those old theaters that are like you know mm -hmm. 100, 120 years old. Those those can be really neat places to just kind of look around in when you're when you're done setting mm -hmm. up. And then the the Ryman in in uh, Nashville done a few shows there. You know that's that's a museum during the day. So. So it's an active museum. There's people touring the place when during the day, and they're not allowed on the stage when you're setting up. But you know, so that's a pretty cool venue to do. Mm -hmm. But but also with those old theaters comes like the difficulty of getting things into the building. You're showing up with a semi or more, and those old buildings aren't aren't set up for that. You know, so that can be right. It can, it can be a little bit of a challenge to fit everything into the, into the building. Sometimes, and that's where you get into, you know, you let the lighting have their time to set up before you bring in the sound, and then you let them set up before you bring in the backline. That's where you kind of need to pace the load in properly, so you don't jam up everybody. You know, getting back what's, to that part of things. When you pull into a venue, what's the thing you're looking for that, like, you want to see that's going to make your life a lot easier? Uh, storage, <laughs> storage, and how big the the wings are stage that's that's mm. like load in and how how big the wings are because that's where everything's stored during the day and if if, mm -hmm. if there's no storage then everything's got to go back out to the alley or into the truck and that that just kind of you know makes for a, a longer more difficult day if if, if right. it, like um like the old polaris amphitheater that that place was great like the deck was enormous you could store everything right there it was, you know right. so you're coming in with a bigger show there but the like the palace downtown, that's really really small. There's not much wing space there, so that can be a, a difficult, a difficult spot for storage. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, uh, well, that's ironic that's, about uh, Polaris because it's going to be turned into an IKEA, so you'll be able to buy storage yeah. <laughs> from there. <laughs> um, as far as uh, cities, Jay mentioned asked about you know your favorite city. Do you get a chance to actually do anything? For the most part, any of the cities, or is it in and out, in and out, and um, that's it? If we get a day off there, then then we get time to go do stuff. Um, but like I said, normally we're we're doing five shows a week, so we get two days off. They're never back to back days. It's usually like a Monday and a Thursday are the days off or something like that. Um, so when you get a day off in the city, that that's when you can kick around. If you if you're doing a theater tour, those are usually downtown locations. So if you get a break in the day, you can walk around town a little bit, get the feel of a place, and that that's kind of nice because then you can get away from the venue for a little bit, and that's always that's always good for your sanity. You can just get a you know walk around town for a few a few minutes instead of walking around the venue or back to the bus or something. Right. Um. You know, it's in some of my favorite cities for a day off are like. You know, Chicago, San Francisco, San Diego is great. I really like getting to Memphis on a day off. 
just sitting on Beale Street and eating good barbecue, you know, and listening to those musicians. Uh, New Orleans is great for a day off. Um, London, London, England's great. It's such a great walking city. Dublin, Ireland's a great walking city. So, you know, those those are some good those are some good places if you can if you're lucky enough to get some time in, in them. So, have you toured Europe pretty ex- extensively? Um, a, a good bit, but not as much as some of my coworkers have. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've got friends that work for work for bands that spend two months in Europe every every year, or they'll or they'll spend you know three months in Asia and Australia, Japan, or something like that. But I I, I haven't worked with bands that are enormous over there, so we'll go over for maybe three weeks or so and hit all of the UK and 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 uh ireland pretty hard but when when um when i was with Brittany, we were there we were over there for two months at one point so that was that's a long time over there in mm-hmm. europe you know we were in germany for like two weeks straight there's so many cities there things like that so you know i i get to england and uh in ireland quite a bit but the rest of the Europe, I I've been to, but I don't I don't get there every year like some guys do. So on those big production tours, how much of that equipment makes it over, and how much of it is locally rented or sourced? Uh, almost everything's going over on the on oh, okay the, like that. Yeah. On um, uh, dumb question, how the hell does it get over? <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that by boat? Boat. Yeah, yeah. Sea containers wow. are, are a popular way. Um, Holy smokes! Yeah, sometimes, um, sometimes you'll fly it. Depends on. I mean, that's so expensive to fly gear like that, though, um, especially that much of it. But yeah, on on that on that Britney tour, we took ten trucks of stuff over to Europe with us and did the whole thing over there. <laughs> so the uh, this is like the truck. Uh, cargo thing just get loaded onto a ship and shipped over the- uh yeah pretty much it, except yeah. it goes into a sea container which is a about the same size as a semi but uh mm-hmm. but yeah that's loaded on and that's a whole other department of guys that do that stuff you know i i don't deal with right. any of that stuff that's right. all logistics of uh, the production team does backline gear get put on that or is, is yeah. that too sensitive yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. We all we all take, you know, we take our our normal stuff over there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if but if you're doing a small like a like like if if Hal and Maggie or Watershed ever did a, a Europe tour, we never we never did. That would be different. We would probably just fly with guitars and a snare drum and rent stuff over there, um, which can which can be. You know, for the cost of the rental, you may as well just buy buy some gear. <laughs> but, but it, the the cost of flying the gear is the expensive part. So that's right. why right. a small band will will just fly with guitars and stuff like okay. that. Sometimes you see um, a band from England or or Germany or something coming through Ace of Cups or something, you know, and they they'll have. Uh, They'll have road cases from SIR, which is a rental company in New York, and so they'll they'll do the same thing coming this direction. They'll just fly with guitars and and get some rental gear in New York, and then do their U.S. tour with with that gear, drop it off in New York, and fly home. You know, 
we uh, interviewed Dale Crover from the Melvins, and he said that they actually have all of their own gear stored in Europe. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. they basically bought all their own stuff in Europe, and they have it stored in some storage place, and then they that's, always start their tour, start and end their tour at that facility. That's, that's pretty smart. That means they're spending a lot of time over there. If they're yeah. if mm-hmm. they to make it worth their while to buy two sets of gear, basically, that's really smart. Mm-hmm. Then. Yeah. I thought so too, because I we I think everybody else we had talked to talked about mostly renting. So, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of bands, if they spend enough time overseas, will do just that, which is you know mm-hmm. so easy. Yep. So, are there any logistical or um, cultural issues when touring the UK? You know, do they have their own? Uh, you know, you mentioned about getting locals for. You know, doing U.S.-based big shows, you know, is it the same, basically the same setup, or are there certain things that go on in Europe, or is it different by country um, when you're going out and doing big shows like that, or is it pretty much just a big machine? Um, there's always there's always going to be a local crew at, the, at each venue in each city to help, you know, unload the trucks and help put the lighting rig together. Mm-hmm if you're bringing a lighting rig and stuff like that. So there's always a bit of a local crew if you're doing, you know, anything anything bigger than a bar tour, you know. Like if you're doing 2,000 seaters or, or or bigger, there's there's always going to be a local crew to help you out, just like here, to help the touring crew put things together and, and pack up and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, go ahead. I was just saying, um, it really seems like um, for this to all work, everybody really has to get along. Um, at yeah. least on the crew, right? Yeah. Have you had any, uh, I don't know, incidents of just being stuck on a tour with somebody or a group of people that you just found it incredibly difficult to work with for whatever reason? Yeah, that can happen, but usually. Um... At this at this stage in the game, you know, I'm I'm like 25 years into this. The the, the tours I'm doing are kind of self policed, where if someone's a jerk, they're probably not going to be hired, you know. Mm. Um, but that can certainly happen. Like like people could, you'll you'll get fired from a gig for being an asshole more often than you'll get fired for like sucking at your job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause, cause, yeah. Because the touring part is so hard, the person you got to get along with people, like you said. So, mm-hmm. like if you're if you're just a jerk, you're you know no one's gonna want to hire you. But if you're a, if you're a good guy and you show up for work on time and you and you don't mess up too much, you know you 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 can stay on tour for quite a while and, and you know till you get your till you get it figured out. <laughs> right. But there's. There's been there's been roadies that weren't the best roadies in the world, but they were good guys and good people. So sometimes that can be more important than being awesome at your job and being a jerk, because because then you can be cause you're with these people all day long. You you wake up on the bus with them, you go to sleep on a bus with them, you're with them every day for six weeks at a pop. You know, no one no one wants somebody out there with a bad attitude that's going to make that six weeks seem even much longer you know mm-hmm. so that that can be that can be kind of frustrating when you're on something like that 
for sure. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with um, Eric Singer's former uh, tech, and he was, I think, saying the same similar thing, where it's so much about just being a responsible, decent person. <laughs> yeah. But, you know what I mean? Like, it's not about, you know, maybe knowing the gear better than anybody else. It's about just being able to get along and work with people. Yeah, um, a lot. There's a lot. Be... That. The guys that, um, when I got hired with the Goo Dolls, the guys, the, their other background guys used to joke that said, uh, yeah, we needed a fresh drinking partner. <laughs> we, needed <laughs> fresh, we needed a fresh face. Um, so, like I said, I got hired by them because I got along with their guys so well. Mm, you know, work. I was with the opening act, but I was always sniffing around their gear. How's this work? How's that work? And I just, I just hit it off with them really well. So that's part mm. of why I was hired there. They, they, they just, they just saw a guy they got along with. And so, does it work the same way with the musicians? Like, if they can get along with you and trust you, is that pretty much seal the deal? Yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on. Like, if if a musician uh, you got to get along with your guy you're teching for, because mm-hmm. if you if you don't, it can be, you know, there there's show no mercy and like they'll just find someone else. You know, if you, yep, if you right, you know, if you really don't get along, if you're button heads like crazy, then they'll just find someone else to come in and do it because because there's a lot of people looking to do this kind of work. You know, sure. Not so. not not naming any names, but have you ever? <laughs> gone out with a band or an artist and just been completely i don't know stymied or or uh you just could not get along with the person like i'm doing my best to get this job done but they are completely difficult they're just too difficult to work with yeah i um there were there's been a there's always going to be a few of those there's there's one there's one guy i teched for that was just he was he was a nice enough guy off stage but get him on stage and he just turns into a miserable monster like everything's wrong all the time and it's and it and it wasn't but you know so that 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 was a difficult situation and i ended up um not doing the second leg of that tour i did a i did a um like a month of arenas here and then they were going to europe and i backed out I just told the production managers I got another gig. I'm, I'm I'm moving on. So, yeah, I I I split from that tour because one of the two guys I was teching for was just such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but that but they that tour had that problem. They they that position in that tour was a revolving door because the guy was so difficult. Like I know five other guys that had the same job, so I knew going into it it was going to be a difficult one so i, I didn't know you teched for dave mustaine <laughs> <laughs> yeah that I, just I, your st- that story comes to mind because of that yeah, incident i've heard whatever it was a couple months ago stuff. where he basically called out his guitar tech on stage and fired him yeah that i i when i saw that i i was like wow who's who's gonna go work for this guy now right and if right. you do you're gonna ask for a pile of money just because you know <laughs> the asshole tax. Right. <laughs> there was there was another tour I did where I was kind of button heads with this guy for like the first two weeks of the of the run. You know, we just kind of weren't connecting, getting along, and uh, we had a day off in Cleveland, 
and I had a rental car. I was going to zip home for the day. And I, before I left, I just said, I just said, Hey, Hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And we sat down in the, in the back lounge of the, of the bus. And I, I just said, Hey, I get the feeling you think I'm a bit of a hack out here. And he kind of straightened up. He's like, no, no, we're good. And like, we talked about things and, and, uh, and got it all worked out. You know, I, I was all set to, take this rental car and come home you know because because it was a it was a difficult tour but we got we talked about it we got it all worked out and and that was 2001 and he and i are still friends and keep in touch so it, it you know it worked out that one worked out well so but it was it was difficult at first like the, i remember it was it was two weeks of me and him button heads and not getting along no respect until we had that talk and and then it was smooth sailing ever since. So what kind of stuff do you, I mean, just what kind of stuff would you butt heads about? Oh, uh, um, he, he was, he was just being a, a jerk about like, he said I looked like his old tech. So he called me by his old tech's name. So I said he looked like some other musician and I called him by that guy's name. It was just oh. <laughs> kind of childish. <laughs> right, right, right. Wow, you know, mm. but but the other thing I learned about that guy in particular was is he's he's a year older than me and he's from Pittsburgh, so we're kind of the same guy, you know. Mm. We're right. both mid Midwestern guys that right out of high school got got going, you know. So mm -hmm. once once we both figured out we're not that different, you know, we we, we, we like I said, we still have a friendship to this day. So, do you work uh, both guitar and bass? Yeah, I could, I'm, I'm good in either either world. Yeah. Right. Um, so, like, like cur currently, I, I take care of uh, Robbie with the Goo Goo Dolls, a bass player, and I've been I've been his tech since '99. So, it's it's kind of a crazy long run, really. But... So, in the event of an injury or illness, are you prepared to step in and like cover bass parts for <laughs> a show? We we had. Uh, a bunch of years ago, he had a staph infection in his elbow, where he had to he had to sit out for a week. But one of the other techs on the tour was a, a really really good bass player, so he stepped in and did did like five shows or so. Um, I haven't been called on that, but it's been it, it has been close a few times. <laughs> did he have to sing Robbie songs that he sings? No, they they just didn't do any Robbie songs for those shows. Okay, which is kind of kind of weird, you know, not to not to hear any of those songs for for those shows but but it worked it worked well the, 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 like i said the other the, the tech that filled in is a is a former mu musician that you know it, it was a really good bass player he's much better than me so it worked out well well not to get into like a, a deep goo goo dolls debate here but um i'm originally from buffalo so my goo goo dolls history goes I, back i didn't know that quite a way yeah that's where i grew up at, uh, before moving to ohio is a teenager and um so i go back to like the hold me up and jed and those yeah. records and um uh there's always been a debate about you know johnny sings all the big pop single songs he's got the radio voice and stuff like that and then robbie's holding down like the punk edge of the band and when you buy a goo goo dolls record you're like oh there's iris or there's uh you know whatever the singles are name and 
uh, long way down, and then you get the record, and you're like, half this record is punk rock. Like it's <laughs> it's such yeah. a weird band in that respect that they have two singers, but one really has no impact commercially uh, as far right. as the band goes. Yeah, it is it is a weird dynamic like that, but at the same time, it wouldn't if you heard a record or heard a show and they were all John songs and no Robbie songs, it, it, it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be the Goo Goo Dolls, you know? So you, and that's always been the the thing about that band is, is the, the two singer thing, even though early on it was more prompt, more prevalent for sure. Right. Um, but even, even to this day, like you, if you saw a show and like, like I think Robbie does four songs at a show out of, 18 or 20 but if there were no Robbie songs it would be it would just be weird you know yeah I, I agree I mean especially um, uh, the, the, like the, the 90s era like I saw them I don't know probably like two or three times uh, one of them was at the Ohio State Fair actually with Paula Maggie oh yeah yeah um, like you know the, it, it's like you said, it is kind. Of, it would be kind of weird because there's just a certain like vibe that those shows have that Robbie brings. That you know, you know, earlier John was in that sort of songwriting style, but he's obviously has gotten more you know pop oriented. So um, it would be weird just to have all of his stuff. I don't. know, Maybe he needs a break too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think sometimes he like that might be the case that uh, maybe maybe John just needs a break because Robbie's songs are always paired up. He's like he'll do two in a row, so it is a little bit of a break for for John in there. Have you done? Uh, I guess it would probably be with them. Maybe some other bands. The private party thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Private we, event thing. Yeah, we we do What's a lot like? of that they can be they they run the gamut they can be interesting they can be really boring they can be in a convention hall in in Las Vegas they can be at a golf course in Hawaii they they, they they're all over the map these these corporate events right and uh, not every band is good for them but uh you know because the, they're 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 kind of like they're for, they're for like top sales people or top you know the the big brass of a company or something like that. So, you know, not every band is going to be you know, like, you don't, you don't, you don't want New York dolls playing some of those things or something, you know? <laughs> right. Well, that was my question is like, uh, I mean, as a performer, you know, I, I would think an audience is an audience. Does it kind of work out that way or does yeah. the show get di become different because I guess the whole yeah. scenario is a little different. Cause the bands that are doing those kinds of events are going to have, enough hits that the 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 people at these companies are going to know you know yeah bands aren't doing those things that don't have half a dozen a dozen pretty significant radio hits sure. so but the band still gets up for it yeah and 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 depending on the crowd you know are they a lively bunch is it an open bar are they standing up or is it they're all sitting down at banquet tables eating dinner you know so it, it 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 really is a different thing and sometimes 
the band can be like, well, we we gotta we're really working here, and sometimes it's more like a regular show where the right. crowd's into it, and it's kind of an easier show. Right. Yeah, that makes me think uh, of another question. Have you been in a um, at a show working with a band, and you you know when you get in there, like they're just gonna have to work their ass off to win this crowd over. You know, maybe they're opening uh, or some weird scenario. Um, have you seen that and seen a band just completely just turn a crowd around and win them, um, win them over? Yeah. Like that's, that's always the challenge of being the opener, isn't it? Like, like Mm -hmm. how how do you, everyone's here to see the headliner. Everyone's here to see ACDC and we're opening. You know, how do you, how do you get these people or something, you know? Right. That's, that's always the big challenge. We, I I remember, um, it was a weird, really weird pairing. I was when I was working for Buck Cherry, we opened for Iggy Pop in Detroit, mm-hmm. and no one cared. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, they were all there to see Iggy, and you know I get it. I get it at that particular show. It, 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 you know, um, and Iggy, it was great. He was he was awesome that night. But it was just a weird billing. It was the only time we opened up for him on that whole tour. Like it was just a weird one. You know why we opened this one show, but you know I I remember distinctly that crowd did not care about the opening act at all. You know, mm-hmm. but that's that's Detroit for you. They love their their hometown hometown folks. You know, sure. What do you what are you doing when the band's playing? I mean, are you the guy standing on the side of the stage waiting for the guitar string to break? Yeah, um, tuning yeah. up the next guitar. You know, making yep. sure I'm I'm always kind of looking at the wireless stuff to make sure the frequencies are clean and things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm the, I'm the guy on the side of the stage that brings out the next guitar and grabs grabs the old one, tunes it up. Yep. Um, you know, and a lot of a lot of bands have some different tunings going on. You know, not everything is standard tuning. It's it's very rare when a band is in standard tuning for a, a whole ninety minute show anymore. Like there's mm-hmm. always some different tunings going on, so that's that's part of the challenge too is knowing that stuff and uh, keep it keeping things going there. Because you you also if you have different tunings, you're not gonna you don't want to be bouncing the guitar around. You want to keep the guitar in that tuning. So that means you have to have a spare in that tuning also. So that's mm. how so many guitars on the side of the stage sometimes mm. so so how many bass changes are there for say robbie is is he playing uh one throughout the show and you have a backup or is he is there other multiple bass changes for him uh there's there's multiple because this this band uh years ago had a a tuning explosion we call there's so many different tunings with this band especially on john's side of the world right there's a lot of different tunings a lot of them homemade, so they're not really um, like the Zeppelin tunings. They're not Dad Gad. They're they're his, some of his own homemade tunings. So so my guy Robbie will follow following that where he'll I've got bases that are standard that are down a whole step, down a step and a half, down two steps. So you know it's it's tuned it's tuned down to C, which is like what bands like Corn would do and stuff. Right. So it's really, wow and monster bang that i remember they 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 had basses tuned down to c and and stuff like that so um 
so you wouldn't think of that with a pop band, but there are a lot of there are some heavier tunings in 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 our world. So so yeah, I am I am you know if if it was a there's some other bass tech gigs where the bass player is only playing one guitar the whole night long, you know. So that's mm-hmm. I don't have that world out here. <laughs> <laughs> I I I've, I've got agree. a friend that went on to work for uh Leonard Skinner recently, and he was rubbing it in, saying, oh, one bass the whole night. <laughs> I change strings, but once a week and all this stuff. So, you know, every, every band's a little different with how they do things. I never would have guessed that about, about them. I mean, I always wondered about uh, how many bass players do change their tuning to match the guitars. So that's interesting to hear. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I didn't even realize that they had that many i assume some of those acoustic tunes were probably in like open tuning and stuff but yeah uh, a lot of the acoustic songs are are in yeah. weird tunings for john yeah like um, name is name you like yeah like you can't play any other song in that tuning because it's so it's so weird i i i don't have them written down i should have done that but uh um but like like i said so so robbie will follow him in the tunings like if if he's if he's um really low in a song then robbie will you know he'll, he'll just he'll, he'll just play in a lower register is all it is mm-hmm. right so there's it's not like a drop d tuning it's the whole guitar is down right step or two whole steps or whatever it happens to be you know mm-hmm. and so and some so, bands some other bands do that but it's 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 you know most bass worlds is pretty are fairly straightforward but some bands are get get a little out there with it mm-hmm. so give me a a horror story like a, just a complete disaster situation that you had to deal with either oh, during uh, a show or this is uh oh man this was uh in 99 we were in south africa doing some radio f- some festivals with uh it was good bill. It was Lenny Kravitz and Goo Goo Dolls and The Cult and two other South African bands. So, and back then I, I took care of uh, Robbie and the second guitar player in the Goo Goo Dolls. They're, they're a five-piece live band. So I was spread thin. I was t- taking care of the guitar player and Robbie. And the guitar player goes out for his solo in Iris, the big the big slide solo, right? And his, and his guitar craps out. So... You know, it's a stadium full of fifteen thousand people, and then and the feature thing ain't there, and and I'm scrambling to get it going. And in the middle of it all, John comes running over to me and goes, "I'll give you a hundred bucks if you make this happen again tomorrow night." <laughs> <laughs> and I, just, I just said, "Get the get the hell out of here! Get go away! Get out of here!" <laughs> I was like. But the, I, I just, I was so amused by it. I tell that story a lot. It's so amusing to like, you know, I'm scrambling to fix this thing in the middle right. of the feature part isn't happening and the singer's ju- making a joke with me. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was expecting the complete opposite of, right, of what right. you just said. <laughs> what, what ends up happening in that situation? Like, is that a wireless issue? Um, that particular thing was, um, we, always, we always set our uh, cabinets off stage. Mm-hmm. So they're they're not on stage, they're off stage, and they were set up in a place where it was a festival, so it was kind of a throw and go situation. So they they were just set up in a bad spot, and someone someone kicked the speaker cable out and had to trace that down to get it going again. 
So it was just kind of a unfortunate timing, really. <laughs> how's uh, how are, but how's the live setup changing? Like, we were talking to uh, Kelly Scott from Failure, and he was walking us through kind of their setup now, which is um, I think they do live drums, but all the guitars and bass and keys are all modeled. Yeah. Um, and they basically, I think, carry their own PA around with them. So they essentially have night after night the exact same sound completely mm-hmm. dialed in. Perfect. Like, And that works for their kind of music. But yeah. I've been like between that and I'm, I've read some things about uh, different guitar players using like more direct to the PA kind of setups with their amps. And I know Metallica kind of uses a completely weird setup now. Are, are you seeing like a a lot of changes in terms of how how a live shows you know kind of produced now from a sound standpoint for a yeah band. a lot of a lot of guitar players are moving to uh uh this fra- fractal unit is what it's called yep yeah or, that's what it's called the fractal yeah in this unit there's thousands of different amp amp and cabinet configurations and it's all it's 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 a it's a computer making these sounds basically not an amp and a speaker moving air so there is there is a little bit of difference there but the, but a lot of guys are moving to those because they're more consistent every night yep. than than a microphone in front of a guitar cabinet because mm-hmm. that, that can be you know it's just variables in, in that configuration um so a lot of guys are moving to this fractal unit and it and it goes you can you can you can put it through a speaker cabinet but a lot of guys We'll just put it right into the direct box into the PA. So mm-hmm. there's 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 less that can go wrong in that chain, so to mm-hmm. speak. But then a lot of guys are old school and they 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 don't like that because they're not you're not moving air with the guitar cap, right. you know. And mm-hmm. it, so there's a little bit of difference there. Mm-hmm. Um, just depends on what what you want to what you want to do and. And, and things like that. I know, I think the Metallica guys are all on fractals, so they're doing that sort of thing. But then they have cabinets on stage, so they're they're using a combination of, of that both worlds, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it definitely creates a... Uh, I saw Muse back in Columbus probably five years ago now. Yeah. And it was... They must have been using fractals, and... That band is it so... It sounded... High. What's that? That band is so high tech with their stuff. They're, it's ridiculous. They're yeah, they're on yeah. the cutting edge, like like U two or somebody. You know, with what they're the doing. The stage show was it was the most amazing stage show I've ever seen. It was just ridiculous. Um, yeah. And but the thing that was weird about it was it just wasn't loud. I mean, it was loud, but it was like not concert loud. Like it didn't. I don't know. I'm used to going to a concert where like they kick. You know, you hit the kick drum and like your chest pounds. And like mm-hmm. your shirt moves, yeah. you know, and this was more of like just a really good sound system that was turned up loud, not yeah. like a more physical like a... reaction kind of loud. It was just, I was conflicted because I'm like, I guess, I mean, it sounds good, but yeah. it's, it doesn't feel right. I hear, just, I, I know what you mean. Like you want, you want to feel, the, yeah. like you said, the kick drum and the bass and you want it, you, but instead you're getting like a, almost like a cleaner sound instead of a, mm-hmm. a more guttural or more i don't know i don't know, like it like you said something you can feel more mm-hmm. so, yeah i don't know where I, I 
maybe the newer tours are getting that way. I don't know. I don't know why that, why that, but you, you see that more and more or hear that more and more in some of these big production arena tours where it's not the in your face, kick drum and snare drum. Like I remember when I was a kid going to see Aerosmith and stuff, you know? Right. Right. That was a part of the experience. Cause it was like, yeah. Oh yeah. You couldn't experience them that. And, in, and no matter what, how great your system was at home, <laughs> yeah, you know, or in your car, you couldn't replicate that. Right. The way that, the way that kick drum just, just yeah. hit you in the chest, you know, it was, right. that, was, that was like, that's the cool thing when you're a kid going to shows, like just, you know, the feeling of it all, you know, some, mm -hmm. some, sometimes, uh, with the technology involved in a show now, sometimes you, you lose that, I think. Have you made any, um, uh, recommendations to an artist you're working with in terms of like, Hey, why don't you try this or like have uh, a little bit more creative input? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it like, you know, like you, you come across a new distortion pedal and you're like, Hey, Hey, try to try this out or something. Um, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there's things like that. Cause you know, I, I want to stay on top of the new toys also for my, you know, in my line of work, I want to know what the current thing is also. So part of it is, you know, me trying to stay on top of what's hot and what's current, like the, this fractal thing that guitar players are using, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't want to fall behind on technology in this, in this, in this game. Cause then, then, you know, then that's going to limit you on what kind of tours you can do in, in sure. some respects. So, uh, with regards to like guitar pedals, um, I read an interview recently with Adam Franklin from Swerve Driver, and he was saying that he actually prefers to go with like the non boutique stuff, like Boss, mm -hmm. because he knows that if a pedal fails or is stolen or something like that, or he loses something, he can always just go to a store oh. nearby and, yeah. and find yeah. a Boss pedal. Whereas when he buys like you know these boutique pedals he's not if he has to replace something he can't just go to the store and get it he has to order it and it might take weeks to get it and it's going to affect his sound yeah. when he's going out live it makes perfect sense i like that guy <laughs> <laughs> and he's a guy i they played columbus uh the last september and he must have had 30 pedals i mean and he had a lot of those like little micro pedals uh -huh. where it was like just a reverb or just a one delay that he would use for like the chorus of one song, yep. you know, that to, and that to me is like, well, then you should move to the fractal setup because if you're only going to use that one reverb for that one little part or that one little delay, it doesn't make sense to like have 40 pedals or 30 pedals in front of you. Like they were shaped like a, it was basically like a half circle surrounding him with pedals. <laughs> yeah. It was ridiculous. Some of, the, some of those guys have just enormous pedal boards. But he had a piece of tape on every single one. That indicated where the where the setup should be, yeah, like yeah. a little piece of masking tape and, and a black mark mm -hmm. uh, for every knob. And I'm just like that must have taken forever because you got 30 pedals and you've marked every single one of them where they're supposed to be. Yeah, some, sometimes you can kind of overthink things, and uh, you know, but but the, the, that clearly works for that guy. You know that that configuration wouldn't work for some other bands though but it, it obviously works for him or he wouldn't have all that out there right yeah and he was doing the two amp thing he had like a an ac30 for some stuff and then he had like a 
you know, a 410 or 412 or something with a yeah. Marshall head for some other stuff. So I can't even imagine the complexities of running the two different amps through the 30 pedals and trying to yeah. figure out what the signal <laughs> the chain was. Yeah, the thing that happens though, if something goes down, like where do you where do you trace it down with a pedal board that huge? You know, yeah, <laughs> that that can be that can be frustrating. There, how do you chase it down? Chase down the problem when there's who who knows where it could be. So you gotta you gotta have a game plan for that to bypass something to to get to to get to the amp to just keep making noise. Like there's always a plan B if something. If you have a pedal board that big, there's always a plan B. If something goes down, what, how you, how you get, how you get the signal still. Right. So how do you make this a career? So uh, just like, oh, at what point, how, at what point, um, I guess maybe is it like being a musician where you, you just have to commit to it and say, this is what I'm going to do. And there's going to be some downtime and I'm going to have to deal with that or I kind of stumbled into it. Um, yeah. You know, I, in the 90s, I was working for these local bands in, in the van. I wasn't making a living by any means. I, I mean, I was mm-hmm. getting paid, but not much. I always came home and went back to back to work or got back on the student loans. You know, I did that, bounced around with that for a while. But then somewhere, like, like when I worked, the first good paying gig was in 99 when the Goo Dolls hired me. And then after that, every gig was a good paying gig. And mm. it's kind of, I just kind of like kept going and kept going. And then like I realized, well, this is pretty cool. I'm going to, I'm not going to stop doing this. This is, uh, you know, this is, I'm making money finally doing this. And I, I, I really love the travel. You know, I got the travel bug early. So that part was always cool. And it just kind of like after a year or two, I just realized I wasn't going to stop and like the, mm-hmm. I kept getting good paying gigs and good paying gigs and, and you know, and I'm 45 now I turned 21 on the road, you know, so I've been, I've been doing this a long time now and, and it's just kind of, I don't know, somewhere along the way I just decided to not come, you keep a job at home anymore, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I still do if I'm home for long stretches, I'll, I'll go back to work with this car, this contractor and remodel houses and things like that. It's a classic, mm-hmm. classic roadie job when you're not on tour, but <laughs> well, yeah. So do you try to keep yourself as, as busy on the road as, as possible? I know that you're, would you consider yourself an employee of Google dolls or how does that yeah, work? And then I am, I am, pick up? I am now I used I used to, uh, uh, they they keep a few of us on salary now, which is unbelievably nice and and very fortunate. So, like we're they have a record coming out in the spring, so that will start our eighteen month tour cycle. Then eighteen twenty months or so, but we finished on Labor Day of two thousand fourteen. I flew home, and I, you know, we've we've been off. For all that time now we've i mean we've we've been doing these corporate shows and stuff so i i i'm at the point where i i'm on salary with these guys and it's unbelievable because i thought i'd have to be with like an aerosmith or a bruce springsteen to be on salary you know i'd never i never right. th- i never thought that would exist with a at a band that's more of a mid mid-level touring band 
so it's really it's really great and I, I'm very fortunate so I'm, I'm lucky that I can still come home and like have a normal life for the last <laughs> hand, right. hand, handful of years um, I don't I don't have to like come home and then go hunting for another tour again all of a sudden like like a lot of my friends have to do that they're, they're they get done with a you know an an 18 month tour or even a six month tour. And then they have to go find another one real quick. Right. I, I would think, I, I would think of do doing time. I'm very lucky. <clears throat> <clears throat> right. Sorry. I, I was going to say that, uh, you know, if you just go look at the Google dolls tour on the, on the site right now, they don't have all the dates up that you're talking about. So say right. that album wasn't coming out this year and it was really just a handful of, you know, casino gigs and a festival and maybe a couple of private gigs for them. I, I, I would work locally then. I would, I would go back to this remodeling my, my local job. <laughs> okay. I would do that in the, in between, you know, gotcha. uh, I would still go out and do these shows with them. Um, but then I would, I would like, I'm kind of at the point where I don't, I don't want to go back into the tour all the time. You know what I mean? Right, right. I did that for probably ten years straight, where I just went from tour to tour to tour, and I kind of, I kind of at the point where I, I, I don't want to do that. I want to come home and you know, be a lazy local musician and play in bands around town and stuff. You know, <laughs> right. And stay home with my dogs and my girlfriend and stuff. <laughs> right, and I'm sure you get conflicted too with even when you were doing yeah. a lot of tours where. Uh, if you take another gig, that means you can't work, you know, something else. So, right, right. You know, if, if you're trying to like, if you're just grabbing the next thing that comes, you might be you might be giving up on something that, you know, right would have been there. You missed, you know, whatever. Yeah, you may not be available when yeah. your your other your main thing goes back out. You know, if you right. Go, so there's there's that balance to to work out too. You know. And some guys that are not on retainer have a hard time doing that balance because then you know you need to go make money. You can't just right. You know, like every, every a lot of backline guys have like two or three bands they'll bounce around between. So, like say band A takes a long break, you go out to work with band B, but then band A starts to add shows again. You're not all of a sudden you're not available. So right. The first band still has to hire people to cover those shows, so that gig might not be there for you when you when you want to come back to it, you know. Because it seems like bands now just are getting to the point where they pretty much just tour all the time in some capacity. Yeah. Like I, I just feel like I feel like Bruce Springsteen's been on tour for ten years. Like the dude's just never not touring, um, either small or large or something. There's always a tour and live dates going on. So you're, you're still able to like maintain, I, I guess that just gets harder for, for the people working too, right? I mean, yeah, there's more work, but it's probably more difficult to maintain. Uh, yeah. You know, a guy, guys like that, like those kinds of bands that are like, you know, Journey goes out every summer with some package, yeah. things like, like those kinds of bands that are out every year, they, they still take a good chunk of time off. Um, but, the, but, but they are busy every year and they'll, and they'll have the same crew every time they go out, like those, mm -hmm. those types of bands. So it, it can be, 
but the the other thing is if you're working if you're if you're working like six months of the year on tour you can kind of cover that other six months doing whatever your job back home is you know so that can mm -hmm. be a good balance i've i've found like you know work six eight months of the year come home do do whatever your local job is and, and then have have a good chunk of time at home too so there there, there can be a good balance as well like mm -hmm. you know springsteen and those big bands they're not playing every night either so like those big especially the older legacy acts they're not doing five shows a week they're doing right three. so there's a lot more right. time off things like that um mm -hmm. or or uh i've got um friend that works for acdc they, and they'll they'll be in australia for six weeks so he'll fly his wife out there and like so they can have you know they'll be in sydney for two weeks and he'll fly his wife out so they they it, there's some normalcy there mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know if you want to call so is this something that you'll think you'll just keep doing just keep, as long as you can do it just keep doing it yeah, I kind of, uh, it's, I still like it. I'm still going to do it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not burnt out by any means. Like some, some roadies you see are, are just burnt where they're just negative all the time. Every, everything sucks, every, you know, but that's just a negative person also. So yeah. I, I, I still enjoy it and I still get a, get a rush out of, Hey, we're starting a new tour where, you know, when you step on the bus for the first time, I, you know, that's still an exciting thing for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't, you know, I know there's going to come a day where I, I'll be like, I, I put my time in, it's time to just stay home for a while. But, but, uh, I don't, I don't know when that's going to come yet. I have to ask this because uh, Jay and I were recently talking about uh, there's a song by Jackson Brown. Uh, I think it's called The Loadout. Uh, do you have any particular favorite uh, road so uh, roadie songs or, or songs about being on the road? I'm thinking of like We Are the Road Crew by Motorhead is a, a classic. classic. Uh, yeah, that Jackson Brown song is a, a, a good one. Um, that Bob Seger has got a really great song about uh, Turn the Page. That's a great road song. Um, you know, <laughs> oddly enough, I need to put a little plug in here because you, you brought it up. Our crew, our backline crew on the, on the Goo Goo Dolls has a, has a, we have a really good roadie band called Angry Neighbors where we write some original rock songs about touring. Like we have songs called Creepy Truck Driver, um, <laughs> you know, um, uh, fucked by lights is another song because because you're always waiting on the lighting guys to get started in the day. <laughs> uh, we, got, we got another song called Death Wheel. It's about pizza because there's so much pizza around on tours and stuff. Mm. So, I'm looking at it on your webpage right now. Yeah, Angry Neighbors. We we put, actually put a CD out two years ago. It's, it's it's on iTunes and Spotify and all that all that proper stuff. So. <laughs> It says, I'm serious about the parental advisory. If you have yeah. sensitive ears or are easily offended and continue to listen, you have only yourself to blame. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. But so what, you know, that's kind of that's kind of tongue in cheek songs about the road. But, you know, there are some good, good classic road songs. Like I said, that Bob Seger one's always really good. Tenacious D has one called The Road. 
Yeah. And I think the lyrics go, the road is fucking hard. <laughs> the road is fucking tough. <laughs> sometimes uh, it is, man, you know? And, you know, it's, I don't know. It's The other thing is, you like, you hear... You hear songs now, and you, as a kid, you don't you don't know what they're about. But as you get older, and touring, you're like, oh, that's what that song's about. You know, the Stones have some songs, and Aerosmith has some songs that that like make more sense now that I've been touring for a long time. You know, just, just kind of like the, the songs just take a different meaning now that I know what the touring world's like when. When I was in high school, I didn't quite get what Sweet Emotion was all about, you know? <laughs> yeah, apparently Torn and, Torn and Frayed by the Rolling Stones is a road song. Torn and Frayed, that's a great one too, yeah. Um, Which I didn't know that until I read an article about road songs. Yeah. How about uh, movies? What's the uh, the scene or the movie that's got some roady characters or scenes that you think nails it? Or comes um, closest to nailing it. The, the almost famous is pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's a, a, it's certainly a Hollywood version of things, but that's a pretty good that's a pretty good movie. A lot Very of close. a lot of guys like that. Um, I think Cameron Crowe actually has a TV show coming out about roadies. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, he he could use some help with that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, based on his last couple so. of movies. No, just just because I think I think he I read a few things about that and um, I I I I wonder I'm sure he's getting some proper advice from from people because he's you know well connected guy but but I just I just hope that he's doing it doing it well I read a couple things where he was confusing he was describing a scene that he was working on and he was you know mentioning uh, stagehands and and roadies and like there is a difference so like, like the stagehands are local guys roadies are the touring guys so there is a bit of a difference than and so and i and it made me wonder if he really knew the difference hmm. this article i read so you know jj abrams is involved with that too so oh so, so it'll have be, a mystery aspect yeah in <laughs> a, 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 a bad third act yeah but I'd be, I'm definitely curious to see how what he does with it because, uh, it you know, it is an interesting, you know, a lot of people don't really know what, what the hell we do. What, what does our day consist of? What what happens behind the scenes? And, like, you know, so it, it, I, I hope it's an interesting movie because, it you know, our stories, some, most of them deserve to be told. <laughs> well, you know, it was, gave me the, sort of like the, a little bit of insight was that Foo Fighters um, series on HBO. Yeah, they actually did spend a little bit of time like showing gear getting unloaded and stuff getting set up, and you realize like, wow, they're doing this every week. Yeah, so, like not only just setting up to to play, but to record every single week, setting up a recording studio, essentially every every single week that they were doing that. So, um, I think people got a little bit of a glimpse, you know, not the full sense, but. Just there are other people that are there constantly, and yeah, we um, we know from 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 uh, hauling some gear a little bit, like watching the scenes where they're like loading into difficult places, or you know, because they're not going to large venues; these are all like little studios in the middle of downtown urban areas and stuff. And I'm just watching that, just thinking like, oh, that's brutal! Like having to load all that gear 
into those little rooms and try to maneuver your way. Like I, the New Orleans yeah. episode, for example, um, just stuff out on the street and just like cramming stuff in that tiny little room. And it that. was like a hundred degrees. And there was no air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Oh that's, man. That's, that's, that's the, what we call living the dream, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jay, do you have any, uh, any other questions? Get, yeah. What's my, uh, the, the last one would be, um, what's the, what's the best job to have on tour? What's the worst? For me, the worst is lighting because because you're the first in and you're the last out and mm-hmm. and y- you know once the rig is up in the air, if something breaks, you got to go up to fix it. You you don't you rarely do you bring the rig back down to fix it. So for mm-hmm. me, light, lighting is I don't want to do that stuff. <laughs> what kind of guys do that? Like, what's your background to to get into that kind of work? Usually, um, you know, a lot of guys get into it by working at, at a local production company here in town or um like um not the not the people that set up Comfest, but uh shoot i can't forget the, i forget the names but anyway like a lot of those guys will start working locally on whatever's whatever's setting up small festivals and you know the dublin irish festival you know you, gotcha. you, you set up a lighting rig there somehow you make your way to a uh, a, a, a lighting company that does tours. Somehow you, you, like I've maneuvered my way into backline tours. You, you, you just kind of maneuver your way to a, a company that does tours. Mm. So, and next thing you know, you're building a roller coaster for Tommy Lee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, ridiculous. And, and he's like, "What? How are you qualified to do this?" Yeah. That's well, I worked at the Dublin Irish Festival. Yeah, but there's there's all kinds of different jobs on tours. You know, there's lighting, there's sound, there's backline. There's some tours have pyro guys. You know, wardrobe on some some things. There's always merch guys on tours. The production staff that deals with the logistics of 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 getting every all the all the all the trucks and all the people from city to city. You know, there's bus drivers, there's truck drivers. There's all, all kinds of different jobs on tours. Are the have you majority worked on a tour of with Pyro? What? What's that? Have you worked? Have you worked on a tour with Pyro? Yeah, yeah. Um, the 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 Britney Spears had a lot of Pyro, a ton of Pyro. And then uh, I was with a band that opened for ACDC for a while. They, ACDC had a ton of Pyro, of course. Um, it's 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 nasty. You have to test that stuff during the day. There's a there's a fire marshal that comes into the venue every day, and they yeah. want to see every gag, so they shoot everything off in the afternoon and that stuff is hot man if you yeah how many injuries have audience. those guys had the pyro guys yeah like did any of them missing fingers or have like uh Not the guys i know no, no eyebrows they're all pretty on top of it but if you remember uh a bunch of years ago uh james hetfield from metallica uh burned his arm up on yeah. A, yeah on a pyro gag it was um you know, I don't. I don't know anybody who was on that tour, but I. I do know that he was standing in the wrong spot when the gag went off. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that's how that happened. Like, you know, he must have just lost his way, or maybe maybe the maybe the gag happened early and he was in the wrong spot or something. But it was. I mean, that's ugly when that happens. You know, you never want that to happen. That was the infamous um, Guns N' Roses tour. 
right? Was it? Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, and Montreal uh, riot in Montreal, and and then Guns N' Roses refused to go oh, on for a long time, and they only played like three songs, and Axl Rose walked off. And there was a riot, and they destroyed the stadium. And... That's right. The Guns wouldn't go on early to save the day because Metallica stopped. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're not going on. We don't care if your lead singer just burned himself up. <laughs> we don't yeah. care. We have champagne to drink back here. Yeah, I think that actually that was the reason is that they said that Axel's voice wasn't ready. And Lars was like, he was drinking champagne in the back. How does it help your voice? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I remember that. That's on, that's on the behind the music. Yeah, I don't I don't really like pyro on tours. It's because it, it's just so it's, it's loud and it's dirty and. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I asked because I was just thinking myself, just everything would, I, I would seem the tension would go up a little bit if, if you've got it out there just to make sure everybody's where they're supposed to be and everything's done correctly and nobody gets yeah. hurt. And it's, it really is, uh, you know, very, very important that, that everyone on stage is, knows exactly when it's going off and where it's going off and is, and is nowhere near it because that can really, that can really hurt you. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, if you don't have any more questions. Um, no, I think it covered it. It's, yeah. Well, cool. This Andy, was, uh, you've this, said it all. This was, this was <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I don't know about that, but this, is, uh, this was cool. I, I mean, I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts, and I've always thought, like, you know, I'd like to jump in because sometimes you have the round tables, and I've always thought maybe, maybe I'd like to jump in because I'm, I'm a music fan still, and I like listening to music and, you know, but it was it was – when you guys thought, hey, let's just talk about touring. And I was like, hey, that's a good idea. I like talking about <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're always welcome to come back on a roundtable. We're, uh, you know, we, we rotate our guests quite often. Yeah. And we always have new people coming in. So yeah. I'd be happy to share the list. We have, I have shows, you know, planned out for the whole year. So we have oh, to cool. yeah. send them I'd, over I'd, to you. We'd uh, be interested in, you know, you know, getting back on at some point and, uh, you know, if there's, something good and interesting to talk about like you guys did the dovetail joint you guys did the um the wild hearts uh did, did that record i listened to that one um so yeah you, you know you guys hit close to home on things once in a while so it's nice cool Appreciate so what's that. uh what's your year look like and uh where can people check you out uh we're gonna be I, they tell us the new record's coming out in the spring so we're, we're gonna start to get busy right around right around then and then we'll go you know there'll be some sort of spring summer and fall tour and then we'll do it all over again next year that's kind of a routine the, the summer tour is always going to be like a uh, some sort of package with some other decent decent band like a three band package with two of us doing really well like a couple summers ago it was uh matchbox 20 and goo goo dolls that was a really that was a really successful tour Mm -hmm. um, and then the spring and fall tours are usually smaller. Like we'll be doing theaters or the, the indoor of the LC. And then the summertime is, is all amphitheater shows kind of thing. So, so we, we'll be pretty busy start, starting up here in the spring. And then, uh, and then we'll start our, our tour cycle. And uh, like I said, that, you know, you're always excited when you first step on your new tour bus to get going. Right. 
and people should visit uh it's andy heineman at or no just dot com yeah <laughs> i I, I need to i need to uh update that with some stories and some more stuff um you know that's that's just a a, a website for my own personal you know i'm, I'm going to put up stories for all the bands i toured with and then also a spot where you know i've i've played in so many different bands over the years i want to find a central location for all the different bands i've played in you know put recordings up from the woosley band and twin cam and the bottoms and angry neighbors like all so everything's in one spot that involves my music world so so to speak so that that's what that website's about and and, and needs to be a little updated of course <laughs> as everyone's does i'm sure mm. But uh, yeah, if you're if you're looking for a good laugh, uh, check out the Angry Neighbors uh, CD, The Big Dirty. It's our crew band. <laughs> it's good stuff. Excellent. I want to try to sell a couple songs to Steel Panther. They they might be interested. Interested. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Is that on iTunes? On Spotify. Yeah, it's on it's on iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. Cool. It's a, it's a proper release, man. <laughs> <laughs> it dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, thanks for having me, guys. This was this was uh, cool. Appreciate it. Thanks for being on. Um, I'm gonna wrap us up here and just say that uh, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback at iTunes. You can join the conversation on this episode at Facebook, Twitter, and digmeoutpodcast.com. And of course, if you want to get access to our uh, upcoming episode previews, uh, bonus content for episodes, voting on future episodes. Join us at Patreon, uh, patreon.com backslash digmeout to become a subscriber. We had two new subscribers, uh, Gavin Reed and Scott Witt at the 250 level. So we appreciate Scott and Gavin joining us. And uh, we'll have some picks from Gavin coming up uh, soon in the next couple weeks because he has a bunch of free picks from his various uh, winnings over the years. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week with another another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. You can support the podcast by becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash digmeout or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. What's up?